Today's reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the slash round his waist. The wolf will live in the with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my, all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Thank you, Cherry. And good morning. Let me add my welcome to Miles from earlier. Great to be together. And again, a special welcome. If this is your first time with us, if you're just visiting Hong Kong, or if you're here with friends or family, we really are glad to have you here. Uh, now, as we gather together this morning, uh, you may be wondering why we are looking at a passage like this on Christmas Eve. See, as Cherry read our passage just now, you may have noticed that there was no mention of angels. Uh, there's no mention of wise men, no shepherds with their sheep. Uh, there's not even Mary and Joseph here. So what are we doing spending our time looking at this old passage in the book of Isaiah on Christmas Eve? Well, over the past, uh, over these few weeks, sorry, uh, over these few weeks, we are exploring the wonder of Christmas. God himself has come to be with us. And this changes everything. And so what that means is that the Christmas story, in fact, speaks into our deepest longings in the world. So last week, if you were here with us, we looked at Christmas hope, how Jesus brings hope in the midst of darkness. Well, this morning, we are looking at Christmas peace. Jesus brings peace into our broken world. And this passage in Isaiah shows us how that is the case. You see, we are desperate for peace in our world. Uh, every time we turn on the news or we scroll through on news feeds, our hearts are broken as we see reports of wars and conflicts rumble on even through Christmas. Uh, even as we look around our communities, uh, we see evidences of how we've been torn apart, how we've been divided. Uh, even as we gather together for family gatherings in the holiday season, uh, we know that fractures can so easily pull us apart. Uh, we long for peace. We want people to be brought together. We want to see reconciliation in our society. We want to see harmony in our world. And yet, we struggle to grasp hold of it. Even when we seem to find a little bit of it, it seems to slip through our fingers. We long for peace in our world. And of course, we don't just want this at Christmas time. We want this all the time. But there does seem to be something about Christmas where this is especially the case. You see, we want 
peace all year round. But surely at Christmas, of all the seasons of the year, surely this would be when we'd find peace in the world. And so as Christmas rolls around again this year, we ask the question, where on earth can we go to find peace in our world? How on earth can we bring this about? Perhaps the best question is this. Who on earth could bring peace on earth? Well, that's where our passage comes in. See, what this passage in Isaiah does for us is it holds out before us this portrait of the perfect king who will bring a kingdom of peace. Uh, This passage, it promises us that there really is a perfect king and he is going to bring a kingdom of peace. You see, as we gather together this morning, we'll be coming from a whole range of different backgrounds. Some of us will be incredibly familiar with the Christmas story. Some of us might be less familiar. Uh, Still others, perhaps we know the Christmas story, but we've never quite seen why it's all that significant beyond the family gatherings, beyond the decorations. Well, friends, my hope for us is that as we look at this passage in Isaiah, each of us, no matter our background, we would see something afresh about who this king is and the kingdom that he brings. Because as we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the fact that there really is a perfect king who will bring a kingdom of peace. And so with that in mind, why don't we jump in and look at this portrait of a perfect king. You see, this passage really, it's all about a king, this promised king. Verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. We're presented with this image of a tree that's been cut down where this tree represents God's people. See, God's people were like this big tree, but they were in turmoil. You read through the history, and they had turned away from God. They had stopped trusting Him. They would rejected Him. They tried to push Him out of the picture. And the result was that they were landed in a desperate situation. King after king were full of flaws. See, it wasn't just the people, their leaders had led them astray. Uh, Time and time again, the kings of Israel, instead of bringing the people back to God, they pushed them further away. And the result was that God's people, well, they were like a stump, like a dead end, stuck in their situation, uh, with no future to look ahead to, no hope on the horizon, no peace on the horizon. Well, it's into this situation that Isaiah speaks words of hope. See, from this shoot, there would be new life. From these roots would come a branch that would bear fruit. You see, this stump is described as the stump of Jesse. Well, Jesse was known as the father of King David, Israel's greatest king. And so the promise here is that another king would come. A king would come from this line and save God's people. And so perhaps you can even picture it as a family tree. We've seen this tree stump, but picture it as a family tree. This line coming down from King David. The promise was that there would be a king who would come, but it looked like that line had come to a dead end. It looked like there was no more. But the promise here is that that line would continue. It would come a king who would save God's people. And this king 
would be like no other king before him. You see, the rest of our passage shows us what this king would be like. This king would be perfectly wise. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. This king would be perfectly wise. Now, at first sight, this list of characteristics, they don't seem all that exciting, do they? They're not the most flashy of qualities. If you were to try to make up your own superhero who's going to save the world, this wouldn't be what you'd put on there. And yet, when you look at it, these qualities are critical. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, seeing right to the heart of the issue, with the spirit of counsel and of might, being able to determine the right course of action, having the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, grounded in right motivations. You see, if you were to see this list of qualities on someone's CV or resume, seeing the heart of the issue, experiencing, determining the right course of action, always grounded in the right motivation, if you were to see that on their resume, you'd hire that person. This is leadership material. This is what you want to see. But of course, this is no ordinary king. It's not like he's just picked up these traits from a management book tips and tricks on how to lead people, that he would be empowered by the Spirit of God himself. This king would be fully equipped to do the job. He would be God's anointed king, God's chosen king, the one who would come and save his people. He would be perfectly wise. And he would also be truly humble. You see, this list of qualities comes to a climax in a slightly interesting way, the fear of the Lord. You see it repeated again in verse 3. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. See, what would this king be like? Well, he would be truly humble, anchored in the fear of the Lord. Now, what, what is all that about? Well, the fear of the Lord is this humble reverence, an awe that sees God as God. That's the posture of this king. It's not the kind of fear that drives you away. It's the kind of fear that stops you in your tracks in worship. See, there's a challenging reality here. The world doesn't revolve around us. The world doesn't revolve around you. The world doesn't revolve around me. It's as if we need a sort of Copernican revolution. You remember that? Uh, we once thought the, the sun revolved around the earth, but then we realized, no, the earth revolves around the sun. There's this fundamental recalibration, this reorientation. It's a humility that recognizes we are guests of a reality that is bigger than us. And friends, that's the posture that this king would have, anchored in the fear of the Lord. You see, what would happen... When a, if a leader wasn't grounded in this, well, something else would take its place. Something else would become the controlling principle. Some man-made standard would become the, the standard for everything else. Perhaps some personal bias, personal agenda would become the ultimate thing. Well, friends, not so with this king. This king would be anchored in the fear of the Lord. He would be truly humble. And the result? Well, he would be utterly trustworthy. 
the rest of this description that flows right out of what we've just seen. Verse 3 again. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. He would be utterly trustworthy. Now the image here, it isn't that this king will go around with his eyes covered and his ears covered, sort of blind to the world around him. Now the idea is that he will judge according to reality rather than appearances. He will rule according to substance rather than hearsay. He will be even-handed in all his dealings. Verse 4, with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Wouldn't you love to see that? A leader, a ruler, making decisions based on what is right rather than based on what will bring him political gain. Even-handed in all his dealings. Effective as well. Verse 4, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. What this king determines will actually come about. This is shorthand for pronouncing a sentence. What he wants to see in the world, he can actually bring about. No more empty promises, no more unfulfilled promises. And these characteristics, they're tied up with this beautiful image. Verse 5, righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash round his waist. This king would be utterly dependable right to his core. You see, in our experience, it is horrible when you are treated unfairly. Uh, we hate it when we even just get a sense that we're being cheated or taken advantage of. Or when someone that we have put our trust in turns out to be untrustworthy. Think of a teacher, perhaps, who has favorites in the classroom. Uh, think of a boss who never keeps his word. Think of someone in a position of authority who is actually using their power for ulterior motives. It's, it's one of the things we hate in our world. Well, friends, not so with this king. This king would be utterly trustworthy. For this king, the qualities of God himself would be the qualities of his rule. He is the perfect king perfectly wise, truly humble, utterly trustworthy. All the qualities needed to bring about peace. Qualities that we'd be desperate to see in our world, and yet qualities we struggle to find. See, the people that Isaiah was writing to, they knew this all too well. We mentioned earlier, time and again, their kings were full of flaws. You read through the accounts of the history of these kings, and they constantly missed the heart of the issue. Uh, they were puffed up in pride. They couldn't be trusted. They served their own ends instead of the people's ends. And of course, some kings would be better than others, but the trajectory was bleak. They did not have this kind of king. And of course, it's been the same ever since across the world. Uh, throughout history, across the world, there have been so many attempts at bringing about peace. Different rulers come through, different leaders, different uh, philosophies, different systems even. Now, in many cases, they brought about large measures of peace, and we're grateful for that. And yet we know, of course, that it's only ever for a matter of time. In fact, more than that, it's only ever for some people. In fact, some of the time, it makes it a lot worse for other people. 
But we ask ourselves, how on earth can we bring about peace across the world? Now, if we're honest, when we read reports like this, when we think about topics like this, sometimes we start thinking, well, if only, if only I was in charge. If only we were in charge. We look at the situation, oh, if everyone just listened to me, then the world would be a better place. And yet, of course, we know of course, that would be the case. You see, if we're honest, we, we all want peace. But we want peace on our terms. It starts early on. Just picture two little kids at Christmas deciding to play a game together. Wouldn't that be wonderful? See, on paper, that's what dreams are made of. Kids just playing nicely. And so they decide to play a board game together. But then that's when the conflict arises. Which rules are we going to play by? The first kid has their rules that they want to play by. They think it's more fun. But then kid number two thinks, well, no, I, I want to play by my rules. Well, no, those rules aren't very fun. Well, yeah, but your rules, well, what's wrong with their rules? Well, you always win when we play by your rules. You know, we've all been there, haven't we? It's frustrating. We want to play by our rules. And of course, we never grow out of it. We want peace in our world. But if we're honest, we want peace on our terms. Oh, we struggle, don't we? If someone was to say they could bring about peace, but they are going to dictate every single term of the treaty, we'd be uncomfortable. We want to have the last word. We're determined to be the ones to run the table. And friends, if that is the case, how on earth can we bring about peace in the world? Who on earth could bring peace on earth? Well, friends, this is the wonder of Christmas. See, this king that we've been looking at, this perfect king, a king like no other, this king has come. And his name is King Jesus. You read through the gospel accounts and they are at pains to demonstrate that Jesus is the one who came from King David's line. He's the promised king. You read through his life and ministry and you see how he really was the one empowered, anointed by the Spirit of God. Time and time again, he demonstrates wisdom and might in all his dealings. And friends, even though he showed that he had all authority and power in his hands, he proves himself utterly trustworthy. Friends, make no mistake, the one we celebrate at Christmas is none other than this perfect king, God's anointed king, the one who would come and save his people. And our passage this morning shows us that this perfect king will bring about a kingdom of peace. He will bring about a world marked by peace. You see, in verses 6 to 9, we get this picture of a world put right. Verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Uh, now, it's not the case that we are to look through this list for a, a sort of set of details that we'll be looking ahead to. Uh, rather, these verses, they come together, uh, a figurative picture for us of a world marked by peace. And so verse 8, the infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. 
Here is a world where people have been brought together, where the whole world has been brought back together. Reconciliation, harmony. It's the, picture, it's the Bible's way of describing peace in our world. It's a picture that we can barely imagine. It's like a whole new world order. A place free from insecurity, free from danger, free from evil. And so we get this beautiful summary in verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We get this beautiful vista. Horizons stretched as wide as the world. This is a world marked by peace in the presence of God. Where everyone will know Him as they were meant to. It's a place where good can't be spoiled. It's a place where good can't be taken away again. It's a place where you can be at peace. Just think of this past week in Hong Kong and how the temperatures have really quite plummeted. Now, for those of you who are visiting from places like Europe and North America, you will say, it's really warm. But for locals here, it is freezing. And when you're outside, you put on your jacket, you might put on a scarf, and no matter how many layers you put on, though, you, you're never quite at ease. It's as if your body's slightly tense, right, when you're outside because it's cold. It, it, it's not safe, so to speak. But what happens when you come indoors, when you can take off your jacket? Now, I know what you're thinking. In Hong Kong, the inside is sometimes just as cold as outside, so it, it doesn't really work here. But imagine someone has plugged in a nice space heater in your room. Oh! You can breathe a sigh of relief. You take up your jacket, your home. See, this picture that we have here of a picture put, of a world put right, it actually takes us all the way back to the beginning. Back in the beginning of the Bible. See, in the beginning, God created a world filled with life and beauty. A world that was free from evil, or free from death. It was a world of peace in God's presence. It's the way things were meant to be. It's the way things we want them to be. And friends, the promise here this morning is that this is how things will be once again. Because there is a perfect king and he will bring a kingdom of peace. That's the good news here. That's the hope that's held out to each and every one of us. But of course, it is a hope that comes with a real challenge. Because to be part of this kingdom will mean recognizing the king. We saw a clue of that already in verse 9. This world of peace, it's peace in God's presence. When everyone will come to know him as they were meant to be. It's the only route to peace. But of course, we said earlier, if we're honest, we want peace on our terms. We're determined to have the last word. We like to think of ourselves as running the table. And friends, if that's the case between each of us, how much more so then with the living God? In other words, the hostility that we experience in life, it isn't just hostility between each other. It is hostility towards God. 
In a word, we are rebels. And so to be part of this kingdom, well, that will take a fundamental recalibration of our lives. It takes a fundamental reorientation of our hearts. It's what the Bible calls repentance. It means turning away from thinking that we should be the ones who run the table. It means humbly recognizing that we are but guests in a reality that is bigger than us. It means acknowledging that left to our own devices, we have spent our lives trying to push God out of the picture. This is a real challenge to us. But if you are willing to heed that challenge, if you are willing to receive that challenge, there is great hope. Because all who come back to Jesus, all who come to put their faith and trust in Him, all who come to see Jesus as their King, well, they will be part of this kingdom of peace. You see, our king didn't stay far off. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. This king came near. He came into this world filled with hostility. In the end, he suffered great injustice. He stood trial before a leader who had no integrity whatsoever, jeered on by a crowd that was entrenched in their hostility towards him. When he died, he looked like a rebel. It was as if Jesus Christ was a rebel against society, a rebel against God. And yet he did that in our place. He died the death that we deserved. So that all who put their faith and trust in him, all who come to recognize Jesus Christ as their king, can be brought back, can be brought in, can be welcomed in to this kingdom of peace with arms open wide. And so friends, let me ask you this question this morning. Do you want to be part of this kingdom? Do you want to be part of this world of peace? Well, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian believer, will you come to Jesus? Will you come and put your faith and trust in Him? Will you receive Him as your King? Now, perhaps you're still exploring things. Still lots of questions. If that's the case, let me encourage you. Why not take away one of these little booklets? It's called Christmas in Three Words. It's super accessible and just shows the heart of the Christmas message. Why not take away one of these? They're in the hallway, free of charge. Why not have a read over Christmas? Why not come back to Hope Explored in January? There's two Sundays time. It'll be a place to ask your questions, a place to dig into who Jesus is. And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian believer, will you let this portrait of our King and His kingdom fuel your celebrations this year? Let me finish with this encouragement. I don't know what your plans are for Christmas. But it might well be that you feel like your celebrations will be unremarkable. Nothing to boast about. Nothing to post about online. Well, let me encourage you with this. The one we celebrate, well, he is truly remarkable. He's the king. 
a king like no other. He is the perfect king. He is our king, and he will bring a kingdom of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for this picture we have of Jesus Christ, the great king, our king, and the kingdom that he is bringing about. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes afresh to this this morning, that we might celebrate the wonder of Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Will. Well, let's respond to this good news.